Hi, I'm Giancarlo Esposito, and I'm here to introduce you to my new series, Parish. My character, Gray Parish, was a getaway driver. I'm retired from life. You know that. He's in a world over his head. Tell me about this driver job. And he's asked to start to figure things out. I did what you told me to. He will try to do what's right and seek justice. Parish, all new Sundays at 9 on AMC and stream on AMC+. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing, my chance to talk with artists, policymakers, and performers. To hear their stories, what inspires their creations, what decisions changed their careers, what relationships influenced their work. Did you examine it somewhat? I've examined it. I checked so that it, it was not it didn't hollow seem in the middle. To retract. My guest today is magician David Blaine. He arrived at our studio ready to astonish. This is my hand. Even before we began our interview, he pulled out an ice pick and began poking it through his hand. It's very difficult to actually push it. The pick is four inches long, and David Blaine is pushing it through the backside of his hand. Did you say it looks like it is going through? Yeah, somewhat, yeah. Years ago, Blaine got an MRI to locate the spot in his hand where a puncture would do the least damage. But there's no blood. David Blaine's stunts pushed the limits of the human body. He held his breath for over 17 minutes. He spent 35 hours on a 100-foot-high pillar with no harness. He encased himself in a six-ton block of ice for 63 hours. He was buried alive for a week and he went without food, hanging in a plexiglass box near Tower Bridge in London for 44 days. At the heart of these stunts is an obsession with magic that began innocently. As early as the age of four, I remember holding a deck of cards, carrying it, treating it like it was an amazing object, carrying it everywhere that I went. And I didn't really know what magic was at that point. But having the cards was the beginning of me entering that world, basically. And what, what, how, how does the four-year-old child enter that world? With like, were there games you bought? Were there things no, you bought? No, I'll explain it. I, we grew up really poor, so my mother... In Brooklyn? Yeah, my mother raised me as a single mother working multiple jobs. She actually grew up with a really wealthy family, and when she was... 18, she was living at the Sherry Nivlin with her family that was the, the head of the Jewish mafia, one of the top 
families. It was on like the cover of Time Life magazine, all these crazy things. And she felt that, 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 that the whole family and all the corruption was really bad. And eventually at age 18, she tried to kill herself. So she went to rehab and she had kind of a coming of age and she moved to Brooklyn never to really speak to her family for the most part again. And then she met my biological father. She met him in a non-denominational church, and when they fell in love, he immediately got shipped to Vietnam. So she waited for him. Where was he from? Uh, he was Puerto Rican and a mixture of other things. I didn't know him too well. I only met him a couple of times. So they fell in love. He got sent off to Vietnam, and when he came back, as many of the soldiers, he had witnessed things there that completely destroyed it. Like he saw his close friend get hung up on a tree alive and gutted and all these terrible things. So when he came back, my mother had waited for him and he was having nightmares and waking up with violent, you know, screaming, yelling, breaking. What people things. call PTSD now. Right. So... She got pregnant. When she told him a few months later that she was pregnant, at that point, he looked at her and said, I don't want to see you anymore. And he left. So that was it. So my mother put everything, everything that she had into me. We lived in a six-story walk-up. We started in Flatbush and we went to Park Slope and it wasn't what it is today. You know, at age three, my biological father showed up and was ringing the doorbell because I guess he wanted to see me and maybe her. And when she came downstairs, he punched her in the nose, broke her nose and everything like that. So that's kind of like my first jarring, and you know, terrible memory of things. But anyway, at around the age of four, her mother had given her a tarot deck of playing cards. So it was a regular deck of cards with tarot images on it. And she gave it to me. And I cherished this deck of cards and carried it everywhere. Now, one thing that my mother did is when she had time, she would always take me to museums, libraries, bookstore, everything that she could just to educate me and show me other things, which was way more valuable than any of the toys that I've, you know, you could ever give or get. And so I would wait for her at the library and a librarian that was working there showed me this simple self-working mathematical book of magic tricks using that deck of cards I always had. So I learned something very simple. And when my mother showed up, I did this to her and she went crazy. Like she had witnessed real magic. And that was the beginning of the the love for performing and learning more and continuing. And you on. thought if I could just get a Vegas lounge filled with people like my mother. <laughs> then I'd be sad. <laughs> I'm going to rip it. <laughs> but the other thing that happened was I was also born with my feet turned in. So I had toes. Yeah, but really bad. So I had leg braces and it's like Forrest Gump. You know, I had leg oh. braces and things like that. So when you're in Brooklyn without a dad and you're alone a lot and you, you can't run and you can't be athletic. You escape. No, that's part of it. But you're also picked on. Because when I wasn't at the library waiting for her to finish on days that she was working later, I would go to the YMCA and I was on the swim team. So I couldn't beat the kids swimming because my legs didn't. And they still don't, actually, but they didn't work perfectly. So in order to beat everybody, I just wouldn't breathe. So at the age of five, I learned that, you know, they have to turn their head like this to breathe air. I would just swim and I wouldn't breathe. So I started to, at a very young age, build up this endurance. endurance. Yeah, or this ability to just 
use your brain to override the pain, basically. And I would win. And then if it was two laps, I would hold for two laps. So at the age of five, I started to get really good at these types of things. Now I started to play games with the kids. So I would challenge them. I would say, okay, I'll stay underwater and you can stay underwater. And then when you go up, you can come down, go up, come down, go up five times. So eventually I was like that kid that could hold my breath underwater while they would hold their breath, go up for a breath, come back down, go up, come back. But but I didn't even understand that the science of it was that makes it very difficult when you go up and go down, go up. It it wastes a lot of O2. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the beginning. And do you hold the record now? I had it, but it was taken away. Why? Um, it was taken away by a friend of mine, Tom Zetas. <laughs> yeah, but I became friends with him through through the breath hold. When I did it on... Um, on Oprah? I, well, that's where I did it for the world record. But the first time I did it was at Lincoln Center. And I did it live on my ABC television show. So I held my breath. And I was just going for the straight, non-Puro 2 breath hold record, which means you don't breathe Puro 2 first. You just purge really hard and then take a deep breath and, and hold. And the record at that time was 9.08. And, and I thought for some reason I would build up a tolerance and, and somehow pull it off. But I cracked at 7.30. So then I went back and I did the, uh, on Oprah, I did... Puro 2. Yeah. And that's a different world record. But that one I knew I could get. And the Puro 2 makes a big difference, obviously. Absolutely. And when you, do, when you hold your breath for 17 minutes and 4 seconds... Like toward the end, are you blacking out? Are you punching a table to try to keep yourself going? It depends. What Some, state are you in physically and mentally? I mean, sometimes it's really peaceful and amazing. When everything is just right, you kind of go somewhere else. But when things are falling apart, it becomes layer after layer, and it gets worse and worse, and you're trying not to black out, and the pain is building up, and you, you think you're going into cardiac arrest, and you're fighting. So when it's not perfect, it becomes really bad. But when it's perfect, it's one, it's one of those amazing meditative feelings. So I'm assuming it was perfect on Oprah because you did 17 minutes. Yeah, it was pretty good, but it started really bad. It was better at the end when I actually realized that I made it and I wasn't you know, going into cardiac arrest. But the whole experience of it was, was pretty brutal. So the deck of cards, four years old, your mother is the beginning, if you will, of, of a sense of the power of magic. Yeah, her reactions and just her the reaction. way she was. And holding your breath in the pool was when you first began to embrace endurance capabilities and the advantages that could give you. But at the same time, I was also in the library, and I would be looking at other books on magic. So you see images of guys like Houdini, or specifically Houdini, dangling from the side of a building. And you look at this man chained up to the side of a building. You don't have a father figure. You're like, whoa, this is really crazy. So I would go to sleep at that young age, and I'd have dreams of these things that I'd seen on these books. And what Houdini was doing was kind of similar because he was doing things that you knew were real. Even at that young age, you could see it. You know it's not an illusion. When you're four years old and you have the magic book and you're doing the tricks, to, to go to the level you're at, is instruction involved? How do you go to the next level after being the four-year-old boy with a deck of cards and a book? In the beginning, it's only books. It was a different day and age. Right. You know, no that, that's how you learned. You learned from reading books. And that went on for how long? Um... Until the age of 11. Did you have a mentor? No. My mother called my great aunt, who sent uh, a check to her for a couple hundred bucks so I could go to some magic camp for a week. 
uh, it's called you? Tannen's Magic Camp. Yeah, I went there and Where's Tannen's entered, Magic Camp? It was camp? in Long Island where you're from. <laughs> and I entered the the competition and and I won, so I had all of this confidence as a kid and I started doing little parties and shows for but I never performed really for my peers. So not other than my best friends, nobody knew I did magic. And it wasn't Why? until you could have been, I mean, uh, these are all trite things was, to say, but you, you could know, have been the life of the party. Yeah, but back then, the kids are like, oh, you're some weirdo. So it's right. not, it's the opposite. It's like, get the right. hell it's out the of occult. here. It's occult. Yeah, it's something weird, yeah. you know, or nerdy or so. So I kind of kept it to myself pretty much. And uh, it, it, around the age of 18, I started performing with it. Where? Um, all over New York, uh, really. I would just, I'd be walking around with a deck of cards, shuffling cards in my hand and like the the guys, you know, that the were at the parking garage would see me, and and I they'd react to just a simple shuffle I was practicing. So I'd go and do magic, and I would get all these amazing reactions from people, and and it was addicting. Who was at the top of the heap when you were a kid, and then you first became aware and of that? They're they're just amazing magicians, but they're not doing talk. They're not known, but they're incredible. So they would just do these. Amazing, they're in a private world. No, yeah, well, they'd all meet at this little deli in New York. Okay, in like the early in deli? like ninety, it was called Rubens. It was on Madison Avenue, thirty eighth, and it was, you know, it was it was not the deli that they would let us meet. It was the back room of a deli. And all these the catering, people. yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, <laughs> for seriously, none of that. But the people in the deli were happy because they liked magic, so the magicians yeah. would do stuff, and then the magicians were, you know, Mo Greengrass. Uh, yeah, of course. Barney Greengrass. Right. But yeah, Mo, yeah, the father, yeah, I went yeah, to school yeah. with yeah, Barney no, Jr. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so Big Mo yeah, yeah, yeah. would do his would card tricks at the table. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, did you ever hang out with him? Yeah, he knew all my relatives. So eventually, yeah, it was funny. That those were the kind of, And then my great aunt, when, uh, <laughs> when the one that put me to magic, Camp that paid my gave my tannins that gave my mother that the two hundred right? bucks <laughs> or three hundred yeah when so <laughs> when when I started to make you know a little money because I was on TV here and there which my great aunt at a hundred years old living in San Antonio Texas thought was I was a you know <laughs> this incredibly rich guy would order from Barney <laughs> from Barney Greengrass from the Sun Gary. Every other week, and she's alone in San Antonio in this little. She get a Bialy platter. Oh, no, and, and everything you can Rugla. think of: pastrami and lox and this and that, gefilte whitefish, <laughs> everything. Yeah. They'd ship it down there on ice. To her. I showed up when she died. When she died, I came there the next day to handle everything, and I get there, and again, she lives alone at 103 when she died. Lives alone. I get there, and the next day. A huge FedEx <laughs> arrives from Barney Greengrass, and it's you know loaded with this insane amount of food that nobody could eat. The um, when you do a show in the world of magic or illusion or whatever you want to call it, and I'm going to ask you, what do you call it? Magic. I mean, I just like the, the word magic because it's a general term and it's, it's easy. easy. Yeah, people get it. So when you when you when you think of Houdini escaping because a lot of his was escape right. artistry, is that viewed as very, very simple and easy now? Have things advanced? In- no, because that guy put so much in. So what he was doing, it was about like just being tough. You know what I mean? I think he was very tough and willing to go through whatever the hell it took. So it's like very few people have that kind of tolerance to this day. I mean, even if... Even, Physical pain. Yeah, he was just tough. He was just, he, I'm assuming he would be... Because you're a very physically powerfully built person. 
Not right now. <laughs> well, is there an exercise regimen throughout your career you've had to do in order to have the strength? Because a lot of these things require tremendous strength. Big time. You're standing Maybe. on a beam for you were up there. Uh, uh, 36 hours. Yeah, or so 36 long. hours. How was that on your body? Well, that, you know, <laughs> when I was a little kid in school and I'd get in trouble and the teacher would say, go stand in the corner. I was like, come on, this is easy. Like you stand for 45 minutes is supposed to be hard. Yeah. So. Yeah, and then you can apply that. So it's like, how long can you stand in one place? So that's really what it's about. So I would practice just standing in one place, and, you know, I'd put a chair somewhere and just stand on it and see how long I could do things like that. <laughs> but in order to prepare for an event... No, well, I mean... Is there what, training involved? Yeah. No, when it comes to something like that, I would, I'd build really heavy weight vests or chainmail things like that, and I would just climb stairs. So I'd add 60 pounds, run upstairs, go jogging around the park, do all these things, and I would hide it so no one would see. But you build up a real a real tolerance and a real strength and an, and an ability to, to endure anything. And with a body that you put through those things, especially the breath-holding thing, I'm going to assume, and you don't have to answer this question, that there's a whole menu of things you just don't do. You don't smoke, you don't take drugs, you don't drink alcohol, or are you a little more liberal? I go through extremes. So when I'm in training, yeah, so when I'm training, I'm like extremely, I eat by, the, by a clock yeah. and by a scale. But when I'm on the other extreme, I'll have like, you yeah, know. When are at the opening of the movie. <laughs> I'll, no, I'll have another champagne. <laughs> no, one. Yeah, well, <laughs> leave the tray. <laughs> but you do. Yeah. So there's a supreme discipline and then you let it drop. Right. It's an extreme on both ends. As you're getting older, is it tougher to do? No. I mean, you're not old, but no. No, but it, I mean, you know, you feel the difference and it's, it's, it's definitely noticeable. It's, it's, it's more work put in, but it doesn't feel more difficult. One of the things I read is your desire to do some sleep deprivation endurance record, correct? I've been obsessed with that one. Why? Just because it's so difficult. It's a thing during every endurance thing that I've done. It's always a sleep deprivation that's ultimately the most difficult part. I mean, sleep deprivation for me has really yeah. had a tremendous impact on my yeah. body. For me, at least. I, yeah. mean, my, I struggle. I have a terrible problem sleeping. Although they say, like Edison and Lincoln, a couple of guys used to take naps um, throughout the day. So they would only sleep a couple of hours a night, but they would take 15-minute naps, and Edison would hold, like, a, a set of keys in his hand. So if he nodded off, he'd drop the keys and would wake him up. And that proved to be very effective. So I think there's, there's different ways to... Well, I'm in a different business than Edison and Lincoln were, and, and those guys actually—they looked like shit to me. They really looked terrible. They looked wasted, tired, haggard. But, but I think Einstein, there, especially, <laughs> he looked like shit. <laughs> but I think there is a way to build. Are you a up. good sleeper? Um, What's your normal constitution? Oh, like borderline narcoleptic. You are. Yeah, but I wake up every morning at like 5 a.m. And even if I'm up, like yeah, I just wake up when when at the crack of dawn. But. Um, I nod off very easily. Like, I could easily just lights out, and that's it. And I mean, mid-conversation with all of my friends or at meetings, I'll just nod off, right? And so My friend said to me that he was a makeup artist and a hairdresser in, in the movie business. And he said he worked with Elizabeth Taylor, and she would go to this place, the Clinica Giovanetta in the Italian Alps. And they would go there and eliminate tobacco, alcohol, salt, sugar, caffeine. They ate this very restricted diet. And these people would go there, and you would just pass out, numb from exhaustion, like every afternoon at like 2 o'clock and sleep till 5, wake up, have dinner, go back, pass out at 9.30, sleep 10 hours. You just slept for a month. 
and when the month was over, she lost 30 pounds. It was a weight like, loss. You probably feel amazing. It was a weight loss clinic, and, and the key to their weight loss thing was to uh, induce just these ridiculous amounts. I'm yeah, thinking but, myself, but the where do I sign part, up? Yeah, the diet part is amazing, too, though. Like, we're do, taking away salt, sugar, and all that stuff. Sugar the makes, devil for me. Yeah. yeah, and it makes your body function that much better. What's your weakness food-wise? David Blaine can't the fa- sleep. The forest pizza. <laughs> Luckily, it's in Brooklyn. <laughs> you still live in Brooklyn? No, I live you in do. the city now. You live in the city. Yeah. Where's your mom? Uh, she passed away. She passed away when? Yeah, she got sick when I was 16, and she fought for a couple of years. What was that like for you? I mean, obviously terrible, but... Yeah, I mean, it was the most difficult thing I ever went When you were 16? I mean, so you yeah, hadn't the, made the it. day she told me, no, 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 the day she told me she had cancer, I, you know, I was, I, magic was my dream. And I remember I, I started crying and I said, like, if I could just, I'll cut my arms off right now to get rid of your cancer. The one thing she was concerned with, and she said this uh, to one of the uh, hospice nurses before she died, she said, my, 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 my only worry is that my son is always going to be alone. So that was kind of like that, if I could have proven was to she her. Right? Well, I have a daughter now, so <laughs> so that. No, and, and but is it hard for you to have uh, with the, with the work you do to have and have intimate a brother, relationships? Half brother, but work. You know, he's 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 around. He's around, and he's amazing, and he's great. But so, do you find it's difficult with what you do? Describe your life. Are you on a plane constantly? And yeah, I'm always traveling. David Blaine's going oh, from like always, you know Hong Kong oh, to always, London to yeah, you name oh, it. Always traveling, oh, nonstop. How's that affected your life? Um, it's very difficult. You get used to it, but it's, yeah, it's tricky because you never have, like, a a base anywhere. David Blaine says magicians are lonely. No one wants to put up with me, he claims. Maybe not quite no one. During our time together, Blaine's the first to pull out his phone to share kid videos. Here. I never taught her, Alex. She just started doing it, so. Take a card. Okay. Oh my God. Don't say anybody. Okay, don't tell anybody. Nice. Show anybody. Okay, everybody can see. Yeah? Okay. Your assistant uh, down the road. A, no, no, no. She's, forget assistant. I'll probably work for You're her. You're crazy. <laughs> You're your driver. <laughs> yeah. For more conversation about children with people like Chris Kardashian, check out our archives. I feel like the luckiest woman in the world because I get to get up every single day and I work with my kids. And my family. And I mean, can't get more controlling than that. Take a listen at heresthething.org. Mother's Day is coming, and mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. Get Mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get Mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. So, instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails, and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day, because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. This is it. 
your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. David Blaine is known for his TV specials and endurance stunts. Until recently, he stayed away from the kind of show you might see in Vegas. I do shows, but they're, I do them on occasion. When did you first play a big venue? When did you first play a venue that you told yourself, this is, things have changed? Um, well, I've, I've, I've been doing a lot of little things, but recently I just started building a tour. So I started playing like eight and 10,000 seaters and things like that um, around the world, not in America yet. And I've just been testing out how to make things work. But it's been really delicate for me because I've always had a big vision as far as doing one of those shows. So I never wanted to build an illusion show. I kind of wanted to do things where... An illusion show would be a Houdini type show. no. No. Well, he incorporated it. No, but he would do Who's things Who's more of an illusionist show. that you're alluding to? Who else does illusions? I mean, just any show where it's like magic, you know, uh, like the it's trickery. So basically at the end of the day, as beautiful as it is, it's not real. Whereas when Houdini would dangle upside down in a water tank, you knew he was risking his life. I think that was interesting. So I think all of the skills that I've been working on for, for since the beginning of you know, my interest in magic, We're tr- I'm trying to put all of those together into one evening. Can I show you just a little? Sure. So, so this is what I'm working here. I should probably slide over to you. So this is the show I've been building. And and it has, everything is very simple. There's no props. There's, you know, I have a T-shirt. I have nothing. I bring some kerosene. I drink a gallon of water. You do this where? Um, this is all over Asia and South Africa. So when you're doing that kind of work, is it all like a grand stage kind of illusion, things that people can readily see, or are there cameras on you well, and I, monitors I, to I give I people do, an yeah, inside I mean, peek? Like, like, uh, basically what I was talking about is I try to do things that are real and magic. So I go, you know, I, I do use a camera and project things, but I also 
We'll drink, you know, a, a, a glass full of kerosene, a gallon of water, light a fire on the stage and then put it out. Or I'll hold my breath for 10 to 15 minutes in a water tank on the stage. And um, like the ice pick thing that I did to you, I'll do that. So I mix it up. So it's the concept is real or magic. What's happening decide. to entertain the audience? Are they like, are there bartenders? Like, are there waiters like distributing drinks to the crowd no, while you're holding no. your breath for 15 minutes? No. Or they're right, right on you the no, whole time? The way I used to do was in the beginning, it started with an act where I would do, I'd be underwater and I would do all of these magic things underwater. Like I'd smoke a cigar underwater. I would have an eel come out of my mouth. I would do all of these things, but it started taking away from that I'm actually holding my breath the entire time. So basically what we did is we took all of that away and just made it about the actual feat of endurance and let them walk around and feel it and see if it's real and interact with it. And that became much more effective. So it was kind of like when you see a guy that's risking his life for that entire duration, and if you believe that he's really not breathing... That stands on its own without the actual trick. So it was, it's playing with that line of like, how far can you push yourself before you crack live in front of an audience that I'm intrigued by. The deli, on, is, the deli on Madison was called what again? Rubens. Rubens. And, you, and are you a Magic Castle person? Have you hung out there I have friends, over the years? I have, friend, I have friends that perform there. Describe I, to people what kind of a function that serves. It's a, it's a private club. Yeah, there's a bunch of amazing magicians that, you know, that... that hang out there and socialize there but so when people come they get to see these improvisational sort of improvisational magic shows it's pretty amazing yeah i went there years ago but it depends you know who's there so if it's like if people were lucky to see like derek delgadio and and uh and garrett thomas or some of these guys perform there it's kind of like whoa it's there might be a lot of people who you know and the same in my business. There's journeyman actors who are doing regional theater who are the great undiscovered actors. You know, they, they don't have uh, right. big careers in film and TV, but... But they're they, phenomenal. Yeah, they just, they just crush that's, you every time they step out on that's, stage. That's, that's the, the way it's in magic. Yeah, big time. So there's guys out there who are that famous. That are fucking amazing, right. but that you'll never know. Is it because there's only room for so many? Do you think there's only so many seats at a table up there at the top? No, I don't think so. I just think, like, uh, there's different things to work on. Like, a lot of magicians complain about Houdini's showmanship skills during his lifetime because they say, oh, I could do that better, or I could do this. But Houdini was a showman, so he was kind of thinking about the the bigger picture in certain senses. So there are guys that could do much better sleight of hand than him or could could do moves that were better or routines, but he was thinking about, you know, the actual showmanship of it on a bigger scale. So before you go out, whether it's on Oprah, any kind of endurance event you've done, exhibition, uh, any show you've done, whatever you've done, is there a state you have to enter? Is there a regimen you adhere to to get your mind yeah. completely? Because I would imagine you have to have the most intense level of concentration known to man. Right, which is why I do so few. Like, I, I do such little things because when I go into something, I put everything into it. Right. You know, the movie Houdini, is not, it's, it's, it's a wonderful movie. It's enjoyable, but it's a little shiny. You know what I mean? It's, it's a, yeah. t- Tony Curtis and Janet Lee and the whole thing. <laughs> but there are moments that are, that are thrilling. You know, and, 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 and you carry into it your obsession with Houdini and a man that did those kinds of things back then. And there are intimations in that world of the supernatural where they've got some kind of otherworldly dial tone that they're making their phone calls on there that you and I, that other people don't have. Yeah, that's the movies, right? Right, that's the movies. So in real life, you, to you, it's all reality and it's all technical and it's all your hard work and there's nothing 
no, otherworldly about that, anything a, that's done in that world. No, that's the stuff I'm most interested in. Is I like the idea that like anything that I do, anybody could do. You really believe that? Yeah, hundred percent. Okay. Does your religion come into play in any way in your life? I mean, that that's a good question. So the last thing my mother said before she died was, God is love. And I kind of, I think that, that that's kind of what I look at it as. I look at, you know, I kind of have blind faith in a weird way. It's funny, though, because I'm so skeptical of everything, but at the same time, it's like I feel my mother there when things are going really bad, so. Right. That's kind of where I'm at now. You know, in terms of my life, it's become so... Um, uh, so spiritual. But, you know, I actually just thought about something. I, I do think that, like, w- what you do is very, like, you said, is it is it real? Or do you think the powers are real? And I think part of being a really good showman as a magician is similar to acting, because I think you kind of have to believe that what you're doing is magical while you're doing it. So I think part of it is you play into that that commitment to this thing actually being magical. You are a solo act, correct? You've yeah. never partnered with anyone. You've never performed with anyone. No, but when I when I was doing my tour, I have uh, 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 different magicians do magic while I was breathing pure oxygen, getting ready to go into the tank. So when you're shooting a project, when you're making a film, uh, like as we're sitting here right now, we're being filmed. What's the conflict for you, if any, when you are being told by people, now you have a collaborator, Whenever you start shooting, it's a collaboration. Yeah. Did, did, is, is it all get worked out really, really easily, or do you find that collaborating with people is tough? I mean, with him, I'm lucky because he's an amazing addition. So, but but if somebody clicks well, but if some well, no, he just has a great vision. So if somebody has a great vision that goes beyond what your vision is, then it works well. If somebody's if you're fighting with somebody to try to like do something good, then it's a nightmare. But if you have somebody that's vision is uh, uh, let, let's do better Compatible. than what you're doing, right. or or let's do better than what you're doing, then it's exciting. Because I know that in films, you know, directors sometimes are in One intruders. of my favorites is uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah, he was a good director. Yeah. Yeah. He was very, very helpful. Mammoth's also the guy that directed the Ricky J uh, 52 right. Assistants. Now, with speaking of him or, or, or Copperfield or any of the more well-known people, uh, do you get, like, do you get an email every now and then and Copperfield says to you? No, I speak to both of them. Do you, do the those wonder, like, yeah, I always yeah, wonder yeah. in that world, do they shoot an email? No, I, I saw that, no, man. No. You just, you just <laughs> burned that to the ground. No, no, no. Not yeah. like that. You seem, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way because I don't know you that well. I mean, I know your persona. I've seen you. And you seem like a very warm person. You seem like you have a lot of love in your heart. You talk about your mom. You have a daughter. And, of course, in my mind, you're in that tank for 17 minutes. You're doing one of these crazy things you're doing. And, you know, all of a sudden, you've crossed the endurance line, and you've blown a gasket and had a heart attack in a tank of water, and you're dead. Jesus. Does death hang over you? I mean, I, 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 th- I think, I, you know, it's not like I have a death wish. So I'm never trying to go to the point that's, that I'm going to die. I train really hard and I study and I work slowly and it's kind of based on estimations and mathematics and I've done it this much so now I can do it this much and I slowly push and push. So I, I try to assume that I'm doing it in a way that I'll be okay. Um, but at the same time, I don't I won't cancel an idea because of the danger. You've so been, I, you ever been scared before? Were you ever in the zone doing one of these things and saying, wait a second, this is not going to You're strapped into the rocket ship and 
when the hallucinations start to come, like on the pillar, it happened, and uh, in the block of ice, it, it, it be, you go into another world. Things start to, you hear voices, you see people talking to you that aren't there, and you start to really go into this sort of like a nightmare dreamscape, but while you're awake. So it's it's always been, that's always been something that, but, but at the same time, it's weird because it's kind of like amazing at the same time. So this thing you showed me the pictures of, the stage show that you've right. been crafting, can you give us a sense of when that might be ready? You might be doing that in the U.S. when? I'd say you'll have it here in about a year. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and it will be everything that I've ever dreamed of all put into one evening. Right. And you're going to do it one evening? I want it to not feel like a normal show. It's not going to be one evening. No, it'll right. it'll it'll it'll, like, it'll come it'll come and go. But it will be. It will it will move and it will change because you can't risk your life like that every night. So it's it's got to it's got it's got to live a life of its own. Better you than me, man. You're tough. <laughs> I know. I see you. I you. I see this. I go. How do you do that? You're tough. Were there ever sports in your life? Did you play football, wrestling. I really you know, I, liked baseball, but I knew that there were so many people so much better than me, so I, I didn't spend all my time and focus on it. But I love sports, and I love competitive. Yeah, I mean, I was competitive on everything, but I knew that there was guys that were so much better, so it was kind of like magic felt to me like something that was my own, so I kind of went for that since, uh, since an early age, kept it to myself. You know what I think you are? I just figured it out. You know what I think you are? Because you're so tough. You're very sweet. You're filled with love, but you're really tough, you know? And you know what you are? I think you're projecting. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think so. You're a Jewish gangster. <laughs> you ended up as a Jewish gangster in the end. Some things are just That's meant really to be. That's really funny. That you're a Jewish gangster. Are. A Jewish gangster who once grabbed a glass of wine from the president of Kazakhstan drank it, then took a bite out of the glass, chewed it up, and swallowed. David Blaine has done this more than a few times. On his Twitter feed, there's a recent photo labeled Dentist's Note. A hand-scribbled piece of paper says, no x-rays, aware he needs crowns because he chews glass. Watch a video of David Blaine pushing an ice pick through his hand. While I keep that hand steady, at heresthething.org. This is Alec Baldwin. You're listening to Here's the Thing. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.